Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Get in the Herd. Um, today is Wednesday, April 22nd. It is uh, Reconvene Day down in Richmond. Um, today, our special, very special guest is uh, Henrico County Commonwealth Attorney, Shannon Taylor. Uh, welcome, and glad you're here. Would you uh, like to welcome yourself? Yes, thank you, Nathan. <laughs> it's a pleasure, as always, to be here uh, at McShin. Uh, I am live and in the studio, so to speak, and we are we are safely, physically distancing ourselves here, um, and uh, you know, and it's Earth Day. That's right. It is so Earth Day. So not only do we have the General Assembly convening in a very unusual fashion, because these are unusual times, uh, but today is also Earth Day, and uh, I think there's something very uh, poignant about that as we have been changing up our habits during this pandemic and fewer cars on the road. We are hearing from some of our larger cities how the air is cleaner and you can see the flowers better. And, uh, you know, the, the, Mother Nature is, is exposing herself in the most awesome way she can. It is, it is a beautiful day outside, too. Um, and I, 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 as we're sitting in a, in a room with uh, <laughs> closed blinds right. and dark walls, um, but uh, I know I was out there a little bit earlier today. But, so welcome. And we asked you today uh, to, to, to really just kick, see what's going on with you, um, to see what's going on with the Commonwealth. Um, but since I asked you to be here, um, some things, some numbers have come out. And so one of the big things that's come out is that we see uh, that decarceration, that, that, that letting people out early or, or finding ways to not incarcerate alternative methods of, of uh, handling situations. We've seen that play out in what are really big numbers, 17% um, decrease in the population. Yes. So, and what, 300 people here in Henrico County alone? That's right. Yes, yes. And Henrico, uh, first, you know, we, we have to start from where we were this time last year. And I know that McShin was very involved in what we were calling the county manager's roundtable, you know, recovery roundtable discussion. And during the course of that dialogue that went over about maybe 12 weeks, I think, we it was a frequent statement about the overpopulation problem. And we attributed that to mostly individuals with the simple possession charges, as well as some of our individuals with the probation violations, which we know, Nathan, that we've had these conversations that jail is not the best place, you know, to have individuals at during that time. And it was really more of a, you know, housing treatment options. And did we have enough housing and treatment options? And uh, so the, the timing of this pandemic has really, uh, it, has, it has presented some really amazing things. And then sometimes the timing is not the best, so to speak, <laughs> uh, because I believe, you know, McShin was, was part of the response. And we knew that part of the solution from that work group was an offering of a, of a what I will call a significant uh, amount of money uh, from the budget, from the county budget, yeah. that was going to go to our very robust recovery community that we have here, with uh, including McShin, including all the members of the Virginia Association of Recovery Residences, VAR. And there was some great plans in place. And then this pandemic hits, and the bad part of that is that now we have a $100 million deficit in our county budget. 
And while I don't know exactly what that looks like, uh, we have to we have to assume that some of that funding that was going to go towards that may not fully be there. I'm not going to say it's going to be zero percent, but certainly I can't say that we're going to capture the entire plan that was proposed, and it was a great plan <laughs> uh, proposed moving forward. Of course, on the other side of that. You know, we had our wonderful sheriff, Alicia Gregory, mm -hmm. who won her election in November, and I was super excited um, that with her now in that lead position as, as the sheriff of Henrico County Jail, starting, you know, that dialogue with her, you know, it was a dialogue with the previous sheriff, now we're moving forward with our new sheriff, and really started talking about you know, identifying individuals who were in the jail and perhaps maybe we needed to take another look. And I really applaud what our sheriff did. So moving before this pandemic, we started a review of, of individuals. And then from the pandemic, and I'm saying, I'm talking about like beginning of March. So, you know, we had the first positive case in Virginia, I think the end of end of January, uh, but things really started, the topic of the conversation really started going in March. And, you know, again, with the sheriff, we got the first review of those individuals with 45 days or less on their sentence. Uh, she obtained a whole lot of monitors, and to the extent that she assessed somebody for home incarceration, that was one group of people that were uh, that were released. Then we looked at our what we what was then considered to be the vulnerable population, 65 and older. We started taking a look at that 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 population and seeing who could benefit from being um, being home on some more creative conditions. Uh, we also had our female population. McShin has been you know McShin Healing Place. You know everyone knows about that. We've got a growing population of women who are being diagnosed with our substance use disorder. And so looking at our women, some of them who were pregnant, and trying to identify, again, with that population of, of individuals who could benefit. Uh, and probably in, in moving forward, not only are we identifying individuals who either at the end of, of you know, of owing of the, the responsibility to the Commonwealth, and assessing and going, is 30 days really, is that something to get, I'm going to use the term worked up about, you know, do we really, is that something we're concerned about? But more so understanding that not only were we trying to identify individuals who didn't need to be in the jail, then the second part of that question was, do they have somewhere to go? Right. And that's where, Nathan, I know that McShin has been part of the conversation because it's, you know, it's housing, housing, housing. It's making sure that we have appropriate treatment resources. We know what the options are, but are these resources that are accessible to everybody who needs them? So that's been part of balancing to make sure that we have we have safe environments for people to go to when we are when they are leaving Henrico County Jail um, and as far as I know I again I want to give a major shout out to Sheriff Gregory 
because there have been some individuals who did not have a place to go. And she and her staff worked tirelessly to find them somewhere to go. I have to tell you, I spoke with Sheriff Gregory last week or the week before, just on the phone, the two, well, with, with somebody else, a three-way call. And, you know, do you want to know what she was doing? <laughs> she was sitting with her mother and sewing yes. masks. I thought that was outstanding. That was a, a proactive Absolutely. thing to do. Um, as you are aware, uh, there are about a thousand recovery beds uh, similar to the McShin, you know, as like ba essentially based on the McShin model. Right. We've been around for 16 years. So we've got about a thousand beds here in the Richmond Henrico area, in the greater area. Um, and you mentioned VAR, the Virginia Association of Recovery Residences, and that's a, a statewide, a commonwealth-wide organization, and, and that was founded by McShin and other organizations locally to create a set of standards. Right. Um, what you may or may not be aware of is that, uh, and you probably are because we talk about this a lot, but McShin is the only nationally accredited CAPRIS organization. Now, CAPRIS is the Oh, the sir. What does CAPRA stand for? <laughs> the uh, the Alliance for Peer Recovery Specialists, Services Specialists. Um, it's an RCO accreditation. Mm -hmm. It's a Recovery Community Organization accreditation. Um, and of course, I have the 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 uh, the, uh, the name escapes me, which is dumb. But it's an important part of our our organization. We're the only one in Virginia, and we actually just got recertified, reaccredited. Now I bring that up um, because when you are before a judge. When you or your team are before a judge and you have a, 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 a I guess the word is, a, a participant is what we use here, client um, or a defendant um, with, you know, that you're prosecuting, and you're looking at what the defense brings to you, what are you looking for in terms of an alternate sentence or, or a reduced sentence? When they bring to you and say, hey, we're going to go to this place or we're going to do this and that, what is the package that you're looking to see to help drive that road to greater recovery? Excuse me. You, you know, bef before you can even come up with the plan, you have to know what your diagnosis is. And so, and, and what we know is that there is a large population of, uh, of individuals who, do, who not only have a substance use disorder diagnosis, but they may have some other co-occurring diagnosis. So when we're looking to find out what exactly does a treatment plan look like, because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a treatment plan. And every individual is different. We all know that there are different options. Um, I know there's, there's been a lot of movement, of course, within the, uh, the medicated assisted treatment plan. Uh, there are still some programs, though, who do not believe in that. And that's, you know, that's the way that they look at things. Uh, there are some organizations who will use a particular medication assisted, whether it be Suboxone or Methadone, and then there's some other programs who won't. Uh, whether or not we get the benefit of the Vivitrol, uh, and now we know that comes in two different forms. We've got the shot and we've got the, the pill. Uh, so trying to figure out what that plan looks like. So is it something where we have a, a particular diagnosis? And with that diagnosis, is there a counseling? Is there counseling that comes from a licensed, you know, licensed counselor? Is there a portion where there is the peer recovery? Because we definitely know that peer recovery works. Um, is it something where there does need to be, you know, medication involved? Uh, and then 
Also trying to figure out if this is an individual who uh, can also sustain employment. Do they have a job? You know, is it something where they can, they are someone who is very regimented, who does well and needs needs a, a place, you know, of, of people who are similarly situated to them uh, to, again, create a safe environment. So we know that that is what we're looking for. We also want to make sure that people are in safe homes. And uh, while I give, you know, gold standard to McShin and give gold standard to a lot of other uh, recovery programs here in the metro area, there are, there are also some that are not uh, what I would com what I would consider to be safe environments. Oh, we have some bad actors. We can just say that yes. straight up. There's some <laughs> shitty places. Every profession, <laughs> right. Every, like, everybody has one, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that's important. Yeah. But the idea about communicating a game plan is what is the most critical component. We just can't have someone, some you know, coming in saying, "Oh, you know, they're going to go to you know Ajax Recovery Home, you know, on Broad Street or whatever." Well, what is Ajax Recovery Home? You know, what do they offer? You know, is it something where? And we and we also we often talk about um, sober living, you know, quote unquote sober living, and and so programs that are not really programs, but just a safe environment for someone to sleep and because they have a job, but. If we do need a treatment program, how can we marry, so to speak, you know, the the goings on at a particular location with other services that need to be done? So, for example, I know McShannon, you can probably describe this a little bit better, uh, but when you have contracted services, whether or not it is with a psychologist who works directly with McShin and the participants in your program, whether or not you have a, you know, a counselor who's here, you know, three times a week and can see, you know, 10 people in a day or whatever. Those are the things that we want to know. Right. And I'll tell you, too, what you said, you know, as you know, and as you just saw, the doors are still open. Correct. We have our intensive participants here and we have um, at McShin about 130 beds give or take. And that's spread out over 11 houses now. I think you may or may not be aware we opened up a house about a month and a half ago. Um, the one I actually, I'm the house leader at, uh, over on, um, off of West Broad and Y Star. Is it Y Star or Worcester? I call it Worcester. That's, okay, Worcester. <laughs> you know, it sounds like Massachusetts to me. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a beautiful new house. And you know, I was at the Chamberlain house. Right. You were, you've been over there. Uh, and now I'm at this house. And um, our guys are still engaged. Um, we're trying to practice the social distancing, you know, we're, 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 we're waiting for it to come into the houses. It's just, you know, we, 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 we saw that the healing place has had a few cases where they've had to isolate and put some people into hotel rooms. And so I bring that up to say that we've got a program still going on here. We're doing what we can right. and we're doing what we can using new technology. Uh, we've been doing all of our, our CSAC, our Certified Substance Abuse Counselor Sessions, um, through Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, they get a private room. They sit down. They have their uh, – you've met Moses. Yes. Uh, and you probably met Walter, too. Um, but they have their sessions with Moses or Walter. Um, we've been able to use other our, – you know, our outside therapists and to, to utilize that and to do – bring in 12-step um, fellowship meetings, which you may or may not be aware, but they're all canceled. Right. And we've got – thousands of people in recovery here in the Richmond metro area who suddenly had all these connections just 
Right. And, and unfortunately, what, what we have seen is that if you have increased isolation for individuals, that just ramps up the anxiety. And of course, everything that we're trying to do with people in the program is to reduce their anxiety and give them that confidence and support of, you know, of, of a new, of a new way of living. And, uh, you know, and there was a lot of talk about telemedicine during the general assembly. And I will tell you, I don't know if I didn't really think hard enough about it, but I can tell you today, I give a lot of support and, and say my hats off to this con, you know, the idea of telemedicine for counseling, because what we're hearing throughout all of the different, you know, associations and the programs helping with people with the substance use disorder is that there's been an uptick in these tele, you know, telecounseling sessions, and it's been well, well received. And, and participants are very thankful for that um, because I don't know if we were going to get to this, but I can tell you that one of the, the, the bad things about the pandemic and the idea about making sure people know that there are still resources that are out there and functioning, you know, every day is there has been an uptick in some of our overdoses. Yeah. No, I'm glad you mentioned that um, because it brings up the ugly side of releasing people without a plan. Right. And we've had uh, we've had two alumni in the last month who were released. Uh, one was in Hanover, I think. I think the other was in Chesterfield. I don't think either one was in Rico. I'm not, I might be wrong on that, but um, were released and, and died of an overdose within a few days. Uh, one was a violation picked up. She, she, I guess, posted, you know, money and then, and then was able to get out. Um, and then she was dead a couple of days later, mm. poor young thing. And she, she was 23 year old, um, beautiful, smart girl. And another young man who was, he may have been in Rico County. He was, um, released and I believe he died within a week. I, I'm aware of that. Yes, yeah. he was Henrico, yes. wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that just happened like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think a week and a half. Yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Just a, and and he lived with me at Chamberlain. Right. Um, so we're we're gonna yeah that is, and that's that's not having a plan afterwards or at least him not committing to that plan afterwards and you know I I, I fear that. You know, because as, as much as, and you know me on this, because we've talked about this and not even not butted heads, but we've not agreed on certain things at times. You know, I'm, I'm all for keeping as many people out of the jails as possible. Right. For many, many reasons. I just, you know, the least of which is, well, the most of which I suppose is that, you know, the jails are just not as well equipped to handle the mental health issues that are being, that are in the jails and get only amplified and, and you know, increased. Right. Um, and of course, the rates of substance use disorder. Some places in the com in the Commonwealth are ninety percent of the population in jails and prisons, you know, are, are suffering with a, sub a substance use disorder. You know, I think it's probably closer to seventy five, eighty. In other, you know, around here, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the numbers are exactly. I do know that uh, uh, you know, Henrico, you know, I've had some time in jail here in Virginia. Uh, my time. Um, <clears throat> It's about to come to an end, so I probably won't jinx it, but uh, <laughs> I'm off of probation tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, I just I just checked in with my PO, but- Congratulations. But thank you, thank you. And it's been, um, it's been an enlightening two years. For me, uh, 
you know, I, I didn't have my first encounter with the law um, due to, well, any encounter with the law, really, um, except for minor things like tickets. And, and I, you know, in, in my youth, I did a lot of uh, 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 nonviolent protesting and things like that, where I might get carted off, you know, and, you know, the police might take me a mile from somewhere and then I'd walk back, you know, it's, you know the things I did. To my, well, I lived in D.C. I liked to, and I protested right. and I got my, I got my teeth, uh, you know, wet, um, I got my, well, I, anyway, I started off in GLBT <laughs> politics, right? Uh, lesbian and gay uh, politics back in the day. And, and, you know, I was young and, and, and learned to drink a lot. And yeah, anyways, that was part of my problem. Um, but I didn't get arrested for, you know, for, for drugs until I was 41. And I'll be 44 in June. So when I was arrested, I, not 41, I was 40. It was November, uh, October of of, uh, 90, of uh, 16, uh, right before the election. Um, when I was arrested, you know, I, I thought, I didn't know anything about the system. And I grew up in a family that, that, that trusted uniforms, did what I was told. I mean, you know, I come from a military background. Right. So, you know, the guy in the uniform is the guy who's the good guy and telling you the truth. And not to say, you know, I'm going to take responsibility. You know, I was doing the bad thing. Um, but I'll tell you, I was pulled over we were pulled over for speeding. I was in the back seat. I'm the one who got arrested for possession. So, you know, I, I, I've learned not to trust uniforms um, because he did lie to me. And in court, we talked about that. I tried to go, you know, say, you know, well, hold on a second. He lied to me and th this evidence should be taken away. And in fact, the only thing for me is that I ended up handing him the evidence when he asked me about it. It, we could talk about this offline, but I, I'm not, I learned to not be bitter about this because what I, what I realized is that I wouldn't have gotten into recovery. You right. know, the steps could have been a little easier at the time because at that one, in, in my, now this is Fauquier County. This is a, not as, not Henrico County, Correct. not Richmond City. And, in, and I, and not, not to, yes, I'm going to disparage Fauquier County. I'm not from there. Um, <laughs> they've made some steps progressively and I, and I have some wonderful people working in recovery up there. And McShin was in the jail there at the time, which is how I found McShin. But when I first went to jail, when I first got arrested, you know, there was no, Hey, you might have a problem with this. Right. It was, Hey, you're a bad person. And now we're going to take your license away. You're going to be in trouble. You got to come and talk to us. And I was 45 minutes away. I lived 45 minutes away from Warrington, right. you know, now you have to do all these things. And oh, by the way, you know, don't mess up or you're going to be worse off because I at the time was facing the 251. I Correct. still had that option. But if you know anything about people in recovery and addiction, you know, we don't necessarily go straight from not using or using to not using in a straight line. Um, there can be some some hiccups along the way. And so that's what happened with me. Uh, and I'm now a felon. For which, you know, uh, having that F on my report card is one thing. The not being able to vote thing, mm, I can't wait to get that paperwork. Well, that's yeah. right, because now I you know can, that you can uh, yeah. have the three, I think it's three years for a nonviolent felony. You can submit your application to have your rights restored. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't gotten it yet. I mean, I, I, I know that it's there. I'm, I, I purposely put it in the back of my mind, even though I've I have done some groundwork for working towards changing that you know it, it requires a constitutional amendment in virginia to to change that um and i i, I now now that i know what this is it, i support this you know and i actually want to make a difference on that in the future because that's it's insane to me that 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 virginia you know simply because of a violation that to me seems like cruel and unusual but i'm going way past the point here <laughs> <laughs> um 
What are you doing? Uh, what is going on in the courts to handle the COVID-19 whatever? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are we doing differently in the courts? How are you guys handling it over there? Well, that's a great question. I'll tell you, there's there's a lot of stories out there, and none of them have been about Henrico, and that's uh, not a not a good thing or a bad thing. But um, I am trying to actually put it out there about the great things that we're doing because I really feel that Henrico is trying very hard to do as much as we can, uh, which is not necessarily the same as some of our surrounding jurisdictions. So I'm really proud of this idea that we are trying to respect the Constitution and respecting due process while balancing the safety of our employees, you know, whether it be my employees, my you know, people in my office, the attorneys, victim witness, even my staff that deals with the public, also respecting the safety of the deputies in the courtroom, the judges, the clerks, etc. So in Henrico, we have obviously three different courts. We have the circuit court, we have our general district court, and then we have our juvenile court. And each one of those courts has a chief judge. And that chief judge is really in charge of how they want to see the court system run. And I want to give you know a, a big shout out to the three chief judges we have because we, and when I say we, I mean the courts and my office, we have been working very, very well together. We are, you know, I'm trying to help and the courts are trying to get the messages out to our defense bar, um, although there's not really like a central depository of information for <laughs> the attorneys. So it's, it's, it's based on, you know, please check this website, please, you're going to get this email and don't ignore it from the court. Um, you know, my attorneys communicating with the, with the defense attorneys saying, hey, do you know about this? So right now in circuit court, um, if you are not incarcerated, then you are still coming to court and the judge is giving you a new day, new date for court. That can be done in advance with the defendant signing uh, an order, having the defense attorney sign off and the prosecutor sign off, and the judge is like, okay, great, everybody knows what the new date is, and then, quote, unquote, nobody has to come into the courtroom. <laughs> then you have the uh, individuals who are in the jail and either uh, want, to want to go ahead and dispose of their case and they can dispose of their case, and it may mean that they're getting released. Um, if they want to contest it, uh, depending on how complicated uh, it's going to be, those cases are going forward. Um, in some cases, I should also say that if you are not incarcerated and you want to resolve your case in circuit court and it doesn't call for any active jail time, you can also get that resolved as well. The one thing that's not happening in circuit court is we're not doing any jury trials right now. And that is in part because trying, um, although this is not, this is not like, you know, in the line in the sand, but if the defendant wishes to continue their jury, we are allowing that to happen. Uh, we have, we're going to have a contested order come from the circuit court. And so I don't know what that's gonna look like. And the idea is what we're calling tolling speedy trial. You know, the law says that if you are incarcerated, you have to have your 
case done within five, you know, five months of either the grand jury present or the preliminary hearing if you're not incarcerated nine months. But the defendant, uh, there are certain things that can happen that can like stop that clock from ticking. And one of the things that can stop the clock from ticking is whether or not the judge says that we are dealing with a national disaster. You know, you've got an act of God, national disaster, et cetera. Was that an act of God? Oh, an act of God. Yeah, act of God. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. If, if, you know, the earthquake (laughs) were to like, you know, crack down the middle and you couldn't cross the street, you know. So, um, but that's, you know, that's the term act of God. Uh, But so there is some, there's some basis here that because the president has declared a national emergency, the governor has declared a national emergency, our county manager has declared a national emergency, that that would follow under that category of what, of, you know, what would stop the clock from ticking. So, we haven't had one of those argued yet. I think that's going to be coming up soon. We might have our first one. But so far, that's worked out in terms of we have not had to, you know, force, you know, the citizens of Henrico to please come in to do your civic juror duty and, and be a juror. Um, in general district court, if you are not incarcerated, if you're an individual who's not in the jail, then we are telling you, um, we're telling our witnesses not to come. If you have an attorney, your attorney is supposed to tell you not to come. Um, we are also trying to advertise that you should call the clerk's office to double check on whether or not what's going on with your case. And the clerk's office is supposed to be sending you a new date to say, okay, you know, Ms. Taylor, you're not going to have your court date on April 22nd. Your, ne- your new court date is going to be July 22nd. So far, that I think that's been working out fairly well. Some people haven't gotten the memo, so to speak, and they show up, and then the deputy has to say, oh, you know, Ms. Taylor, your court date's not today. If you are an individual who is in the jail and you have a misdemeanor, I'm, I'm supporting the idea that you could go forward and have a trial. But to date, we haven't had a situation where actually things have just been getting resolved. Either you have, you know, been in the jail for 30 days and we think that's an appropriate resolution. Um, So matters are being disposed of and people are being released on misdemeanors. We did just start with the preliminary hearing. So if you are somebody who, you know, you were not given a bond and uh, you have a felony and and you want a preliminary hearing, we have what's called WebEx, and it's a setup now where we have the uh, the attorney and his client, his or her client, in the contact visitation portion of the jail. There's a big monitor there, so they're able to talk. We have the Commonwealth attorney and any witnesses in another part of the courthouse, and then the judge is in their chambers. And it's all set up so that everybody can see everybody. And, um, you know, and I'm aware we've done two this week, and that's the first ones. Uh, if there's any evidence that needs to be shown, of course, my, my staff is making sure that they get together with the attorney ahead of time so that they know what the evidence is, so they've had a chance to review it. And when you're talking about a preliminary hearing, lawyers aren't really, uh, when I say lawyers, you know, the defense bar isn't necessarily looking to dismiss a case per se so much as they are maybe trying to gather more evidence and see how strong the case is. 
Okay. So there's not, um, you're not going to see a lot of aggressive cross-examination uh, or anything of that nature. But we may have a case where identity is an issue, or maybe there is a proof problem. And you are going to see the defense attorney want to be aggressive on the cross-examination. And so I know I might sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth right there, <laughs> but because I'm because I'm I just came, went on the way here was listening to this webinar. Uh, there are some defense attorneys who feel like if that is what they want to do, that they may want to be in the room, so to speak, not in the Zoom as we like to call it, but like in the room, in the Zoom, in the Zoom, in the room, <laughs> um, to actually be there to cross-examine a layperson. We haven't crossed that bridge yet. That could very well be coming up. And so I'm just going to tell you that's a, you know, this is a fluid situation and we're going to keep, you know, keep right. doing it. JDR, things are, are, I'm going to say business as usual in the sense of, you know, when we're talking about protective orders, which also happens in general district court, we're having, you know, protective orders being issued. Right. Any emergency hearing regarding a child is being heard. You know, cases are being heard in juvenile court. So again, the things are, we, again, it is that whole notion of trying to respect the due process and the constitution and the rights of those individuals who have those rights and balancing out the public safety, also making sure that the victims and the witnesses are also being safe. So court is still moving forward uh, because there will be a time when this, pandemic will be at a point where it's not going to be normal. I'm, I, I'm not going to say we're going to go back to normal because I don't think we're ever going to go back to normal um, with a lot of things. Um, but we, and so the next thing I'm starting to think about is how do we transition into what will be quote unquote, our new normal. Sure. So, cause it's not going to happen over 20, it's not going to happen. Like we're doing this today and we're going to do that tomorrow. Well, yeah, and so speaking of tomorrow, um, and I don't mean tomorrow, tomorrow, but there's a, a big change in law happening uh, July 1st. A couple, several big things, but one lots of the things. big, yeah, <laughs> lots of things. One of the biggest changes that affects the the, the our population, the population of, of individuals with substance use disorder, is the new decriminalization, the marijuana decriminalization yes. laws. Um, any thoughts on how that's being going to be implemented? Um, any thoughts on what you're, what, what are, what's happening now as far as the current laws are being, you know, applied? Sure. So, uh, I'm, I'm starting to think about that right now. Um, as, as I just stated, uh, anybody who is not in the jail, uh, their cases are not being heard right now. That could change. And let me just throw this out there. You know, the Supreme Court is the, the authority that comes up with some guidance for the courts. You know, they're not, the courts in Henrico do not talk to the, you know, the county manager does not have any control over the courts. Right. It's really the Supreme Court. And a new order came out today that may give us some um, guidance to handle non-incarcerated individuals. So right now, as of this very moment, no one is incarcerated on a simple possession marijuana. I mean, no one is incarcerated in Henrico jail for weed. And so there hasn't been an occasion to have anybody come before the court. So thinking about, you know, if we do have an opportunity to address those cases before July 1st, 
would we just go ahead and, and try to do what we can to make it similar to that? And that, yes, that's going to be the goal, kind of like we did with the suspended operator's license. Mm -hmm. If we have an opportunity between now and July 1st where we can have an individual that has a, you know, a simple possession charge for marijuana, we're going to go ahead and treat it like it's going to be treated after July 1st, right. which means, you know, a $25 fine and the case will be null process because there's not going to be any criminal criminal liability for it. Well, that's that's great for initial charges. How right. about for parole and excuse me, probation violations? Yeah. And I apologize for the vacuuming in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we keep that, it clean around that here. Is, right. <laughs> well, yeah, under the circumstances, it's got to be extra clean. You know, that's that's the conversation that I need to have with the probation office. So again, you're talking about another entity. So your probation officers, they're part of the Department of Corrections, which goes under Secretary you know, of Public Safety Moran. Mm. And so what guidance are they getting now? <laughs> so um, that's, I, I don't know, because I can't speak for the probation officers, but um, I, we need to have that conversation. So I can I can just tell you that I have had a, I've got a good relationship with Ms. Parrish, who is the head of District 32 for Henrico, for all those who want to know. And um, please call her up afterwards. And yeah, tell her I'm I will. Great. I will tell it. I'm like I'm like I'm gonna write that down. I gotta follow up. <laughs> Gail is fabulous. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, well, the Attorney General Mark Mark Herring. Um, He's been a, a vocal proponent of change and decriminalization. Right. I don't know. Has he has he actually gone out on the limb for full legalization? Uh, that I know that there were bills introduced. Uh, Delegate Cole, Josh Cole yes. did. Um, I think some others might have done as well. Yes. I. You know. I. I haven't. Uh, I want to say maybe he has. I kind of think he did. Yeah. I think he did too because I may have seen an email that was sent out part of his pack. That talked about you know next steps and so, I mean I, I the Commonwealth appear, appears that that's where we're going so I think the next step we need to start thinking about is you know how do we regulate it how, you know better yet the taxes that we will receive from that how will we be able to use that funding so that that's that's probably what should be part of the dialogue moving forward for the next 12 well, months in preparation a, yeah. general assembly for 2021 they 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 they're, they're, there's a study that's going to be right. done I, I think in fact i think the governor made it a one year study instead of a two year study or something I, there was a change right. to that but in a in a quicker right. way i, I yes. believe um, but i know that uh, i know that that's going to be studied and that seems to be the the, the momentum going forward um, I'm not going to ask you to go on a limb and support one way or the other, <laughs> um, but if you want to put anything out there. Well, um, you know, there, there is, what, 67%? I mean, certainly there was a significant amount of support uh, when, when asked the citizens of the Commonwealth, how do you feel? I mean, it was overwhelming support for the you know, medicinal right. uh, cannabis. And there is significant support for the legalization. And to move forward, you know, let's let's see what that looks like, right? Let's look at the regulations. Let's see what we can put in place, and uh, move forward. I will ask you to go out on a limb on something else, though. Yes. Something that we briefly talked about before we went live um, in Virginia, as you are aware, a simple possession charge for a Schedule One or Two narcotics is. Uh, 
punishable for up to 10 years right. incarceration. Um, other municipalities that border Virginia, other places, D.C. is what I'm thinking of specifically, do not have the same, shall we say, punitive right. <laughs> um, measures for simple possessions. Um, I'm a person who's affected by that, as you know. I was arrested with a, a very small amount, and I know I understand what the 251 is. That's the first offender's law, and I had that option available, and I messed up because I'm, I'm a person in recovery. I, I wasn't in recovery at the time. Right. And so I, I have a lot to be grateful for because I found recovery in a jail program, a McShin jail program. So so I do have a lot of gratitude for what, what can happen. I see what can happen, versus, and I also see what what doesn't happen. Um, I don't know that felonizing, simply, you know, felonizing a disease right. is the is the best way. To, in fact, no, I'm going to go on a limb and just say it. Felonizing a disease is not good. Correct. <laughs> Does not help anybody. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I will tell you, I agree with you, and 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 I say that, knowing that as we have tackled the opioid epidemic, we now have kind of like a new monster, so to speak, on the horizon, yeah. methamphetamines, yeah. which we know is, uh, I mean, while we talk about fentanyl, carfentanyl, all of the you know, derivatives from that, meth is very, very dangerous. And it's not even talking about the danger from, you know, 20 years ago, the danger in actually producing this, because now the Mexican cartels know how to make it and send it over the border. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's like your Uber delivery, right? Here's your food. Um, so when we see how dangerous we have these drugs out there, and we know the, like you said, the health of public, you know, the, excuse me, the cost it is to public health. What are we doing to help out with the health crisis this is creating? Now, you know, I, I have often said that using the court system as a guide to treatment is what I do, you know, for, for the system that we have set up today, that is my goal. It is not a goal to ever have anyone convicted at the end of the day. It is really about having people guide for treatment. Um, and to the extent that we are doing a better job to make treatment options available for people, that's exactly what we should be doing. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what I said at the very beginning of, of the segment, which is what are we doing to make sure that we do have resources that are accessible to everybody? Uh, you know, we had said last year, you know, you just be, you shouldn't have to go to jail for recovery because you can't afford it. That's, that's, that's literally not an option. And so what are we going to do to ensure that the Commonwealth, whether you be in Pulaski County or whether you be in Arlington, that everyone have the same access to the, you know, to resources for treatment. So if we can do a better job with having health care options and having services available, we wouldn't need the criminal justice system, right, <laughs> to help give those people that guidance. Now, the bad people who are putting the poison out on the street, I think, you know, even the recovery community, so when we're talking about major drug dealers and uh, who are literally profiting off the, the backs of people 
who have a diagnosis or worse, profiting on the backs of those people who are dying yeah. because of of the drug that is being put out on the street. I, I'd like to think that there is some type of uh, camaraderie amongst the law enforcement community, recovery community, to make sure that those people are held accountable for their actions. But we have to do better on the funding on the front end of this health, you know, the health crisis that it, that it creates. Ooh, the funding. The funding. The funding. You know, you mentioned the budget here in Henrico, and I know that they were supposed to vote yesterday, but I think it's been pushed to the March, I mean, uh, May yes. 14th or mm-hmm. 18th or right. something. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if you were there. I spoke at the budget hearing, uh, what, on the 14th of April? Yes. And... Um, I had my prepared remarks, and I went to the back of the room, could not read because it was dark. <laughs> I had my mask on, so my glasses fogged up, right, and I said, right. I, I said, I said, I looked at them, and I said, I know most of you guys, I'm just going to put this down and just talk. And I think that actually got a better, you know, I, I, I get, you know me, I can get charged up, um, may not always be the most effective way, um, but I got charged up, and I spoke, and, and you know, we asked for... Funding last year, we, we received $30,000. Right. And that drop in the bucket to manage something like this, but it's very helpful. We're very grateful. And so we put together a proposal for $147,000 thereabouts. And that would essentially reimburse us for all these indigent nights that we get. And there was money put aside for VAR. Right. There was money um, for Caritas and Healing Place, you know, $75,000, I think, for two different parts of that. Um, which is also in Richmond, but that's another story, not in Enrico, but whatever. Um, but the, we, we were put in the budget for $30,000 uh, when we asked for 147. And that's, you know, originally I was going there to try to, you know, stake the 147 again. Right. Um, but I felt like I went in there defending the 30. Um, and knowing that there's a $100 million shortfall, right. knowing that this is happening, but also knowing that we're not going to stop funding the jails you know, we're not going to stop funding you guys. No offense, but the, you know, the, the, the oh, offense, I know, you know? right. And, and, you know, we can do it cheaper and produce acceptable, responsible, productive members of society. You know, when we look at the, the numbers that we have, you know, we, we, we look at our alumni and we have like a 72% of our respondents and we get about 78% of our, of the, of our alumni responding back. Right. So, so we are able to capture a good set of data. Um, but 72% are able to stay out of the criminal justice system upon, you know, upon their completion of time here at McShin. Um, I believe it's something like 66, 67% are still actively engaged in recovery. Now, that doesn't mean they haven't relapsed and come back, right. you know, and, and that, that may be the case for a lot of us. Um, and I think the number is like 66% are working full time. And I think that we're working period. Um, those numbers might be a little low, just right. simply by the nature of the, but hey, we're not going to hey, talk Well, about yeah, it. you can't, it's kind of hard to yeah. compare that right now. Yeah, well, that especially right now. So, you know, we, we've been doing this a while. We know what we're doing. We've been making good, strong partnerships with Commonwealth attorneys. And, and um, you know, we try to maintain as transparent. You know, one thing I've learned about John, you know, I didn't like him when I first walked in the door. <laughs> don't, don't, you know. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. <laughs> oh, 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 cop chucker. Pardon my language. But you know John, you know his language. And I was like, who is this guy? Oh, he's watching something. <laughs> okay. Well, and I should say, but not to get Nathan off course. I did see the the Facebook where the three young men were doing their impression of John, and it was hilarious. <laughs> I missed that. Ah! <laughs> 
I didn't even get to harass him about that earlier. Honesty was doing an impression last night in her her podcast. Oh my gosh. And it sounded like he was Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) But, but you know, John is the guy that fought to put the jail program in the Fauquier County. John is the guy who put the jail program in Chesterfield. You know, all these places. And now he's been kind of edged out or whatever. And we still work with and right now that's actually we don't have time to talk about all these things that I want to talk about but <laughs> you know our jail programs are not happening right, right now so so we have this this lack of access I think right now uh, our Pamunkey program um, we're getting um, uh, what you call thumb drives oh, yeah. of information to them and I, I don't know what's happening with that that's a cricket question but you know I, I we're, we're trying to find new ways to get to each other because you know we're, we're doing the podcasts we're, we're doing the zoom meetings with with uh, our CSACs we're, we're engaging in the 12-step fellowships through zoom right. it's this beautiful movement it's amazing how res, uh, resilient a community uh, the recovery community can be or is right um, Todd, I'm not monitoring because I'm not able to see here. Yeah, we have a we do have a couple questions here. Um, so I'm just going to skim through them because we're yeah, right sorry, around 50 minutes. Get... So oh wow, uh, <laughs> Ricardo uh, Ricardo P. I'm just going to call Ricardo P. Uh, he said if someone ha- who has had their court date changed and has not received a new court date letter, what who should they contact? Uh, first and foremost, if they have a lawyer, call their lawyer. Okay. Uh, second of all, if they have not, they can call the clerk's office again and see if that they can figure that out. They can try to see if it's been updated on the information. So that's the, um, the court information system on, you can Google that and you go through and it's for all the courts in the Commonwealth, go to Henrico, you know, general district or whatever, and see if they've updated it on the computer. Um, you can always call my office and, you know, say that this is the court, you know, you're looking for this court date. And those are several different options. And hopefully, I know that my office will be helpful. But <laughs> um, And then there are some lengthier questions. So if you would like to go back afterwards, you know, and maybe take some time. I know, I'll, you know. Uh, but, you know, Lisa Madison had said, like, you Lisa, know. Lisa, you met Lisa. Uh, why are the courts so quick to lock a nonviolent person who suffers from substance use disorder or mental illness? Don't you think that they would be better off trying to get help for their disease? Locking people up is not the answer. And we have numerous, you know, comments that are not the same. But you know, I mean, so if you wanted to look at those afterwards, no. Well, I and and let me because this is something I wanted to make sure was stated. Um, you know, when we talk about. The, what was normal and what is going to be the new normal. You know, in my conversations with my colleagues, you know, specifically Colette McKeach and I just had this conversation. You know, I am very aware that the changes that we are making today is going to create an expectation tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we have, you know, released people today and whether or not you want to say it's because of the pandemic or not the pandemic. The reality is, is that I know that there will be people who will say, Ms. Taylor, you did this back in March, April, and June. Why can't you do it today, September, October, November? And those people are not wrong. Um, And so, you know, to answer Lisa's question, 
you know, at the very, very beginning, I talked about all the great things that we were going to implement from the recovery program and knowing that there was going to be these resources out there. All I can tell, you know, everyone who's listening here is that, you know, we got to find out how much we're going to be able to get from that and then continue to work forward because I, I have not specifically asked this of Sheriff Gregory, but I'm pretty sure I can make the statement. She and I do not want to go back to where we have come, you know, come from. We have been making strides and, you know, to date have been very successful in how we have been identifying individuals who, you know, who deserve to be, you know, released from the jail. And we want to continue that success. So, you know, to Lisa's question, I 100% I agree with her. Uh, I'll throw this out here too. We're going to try to do a mental health, a behavioral docket in Henrico, which had never been talked about before. Um, and that was, you know, making, you know, I've got a couple judges who are interested. So we are actually having those conversations now, working with the staff at the Supreme Court. And I'm hoping that we'll have something in place before the end of the year. And that'll be another great, uh, you know, great, and we talk about like diversion, meaning diverting them from the court system into a different program. And um, let's see, so, uh, caught me, caught me off, <laughs> my, my phone screen just closed on me, well, so I gotta go back to the other one. I'll ask you a question. Um, you know, we've talked so much about what's going on and everything. What I don't know about you is what drives you to do this? Because uh, I, yeah, what 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 got you into this? What makes Shannon tick? What made, if you were a tree? What tree what, was it? Barbara Walters thing. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Um. You know, I I I've been so blessed in the you know twenty three years of my professional career that I have been able to be a prosecutor. I've been able to be both in state court and in federal court. I have been able to represent individuals in every capacity to those who, you know, who did not do the crime, to those who may have done something really horrific and tried to do the best I can to make sure that their rights were preserved and that the best result, and that's a relative statement, can, can come of a situation. Um, and, I, and through the course of my representation and being a prosecutor, I have met just hundreds of thousands of people that I know that my work has made a difference in their life. I mean, so whether or not it's I see the, you know, the fiance of, of someone who was murdered and I was a prosecutor, whether it's the mom that I see on the street and her son's getting ready to come home, um, you know, I, those relationships are amazing. And in, in my role today, you know, not only do I run an office of 80, you know, 80 people, so it's a, a small law firm, medium-sized law firm, um, I love the policy. I love the idea of trying to come up with ideas that are going to make people's lives better. Mm. And that really does, you know, making the change, you know, getting away from the way things have been done for 20 years and it clearly wasn't working. What can we do differently? How can we look at this from a different perspective? You know, bringing more people to the table because we know that answers to, uh, to problems are multifaceted, meaning you've got to have more than just one 
entity at the table to fix the problem. That's really what drives me is finding solutions and being creative in finding those solutions. Okay, excellent. Two more questions for you. Sure. First, I, I like to, I've been asking this a lot of everybody and for the most part when I have somebody here, they're also in recovery so they kind of get exactly where I'm coming from when I ask this. <laughs> I would say you're not, uh, not that I'm aware of, and it's okay that you're from a substance use disorder, but maybe recovery from just being with us. With a our... lawyer. I mean, I guess that you know, can be an affliction, right? Um, um, one thing that's important for me in my recovery, and I think a lot of us, is gratitude. Yes. Something that you're grateful for. Oh my gosh. I am grateful for my parents. Mm. Uh, you know, I am, I'm grateful for God. I'm grateful for my faith. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm so, I'm blessed that I know that I feel like even though, um, you know, being a, like a, a single person and we talk about isolation, we're talking about people in recovery and isolation. We're talking, people, you know, we talk, people we hear this, general, yeah. people in general, you know, you don't have, maybe you don't have your husband or boyfriend or your three kids who are getting on your nerves because you see, seeing them literally 24 hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week. <laughs> But you know, there's a there's another side of that about people who are alone. You know, so I am grateful for my faith to make sure that I get through through this, and uh, and the support of the of what faith brings to you. My mom and dad, of course, I obviously wouldn't be here, and I mean, I love them dearly, and I wouldn't be able to do any like a tenth of anything that I do without them. You know my friends I have uh, and my and my family, but you know I've I have a core group of uh, best girlfriends from college. So we've been friends for thirty years, and you know to be able to have that connection with them, uh, whether it's Zoom, you know, with or without a, you know a, a glass of wine or whatever, but just being able to talk and you know and let everybody kind of exp you know for. Because everyone's going through, we're going through crazy times. So we need support. We need support systems. So whether it's Beautiful. whether it's the people here at McShin, you know, the support group, or <laughs> yeah. you know, the best friends you grew up with, you just need you need support. You got to have somebody out there to help you get through this because you can't get through it alone. We can't get through this alone. We've got to have each other. Yeah. And my last question. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned essentially running a law firm of eighty people. Right. There's a larger law firm, not too much, for, <laughs> not too far from here, um, with some thoughts that you might uh, be aspiring to that. <laughs> um, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask that question. However, <laughs> however, <laughs> um, uh, I will thank you for coming. Yes. I, will, I won't ask the last question. I'm just being silly. I will thank you for coming. Um, it's it's always a pleasure to have you. Um, have you here in the building, um, checking us out? I'm glad that we've been able to. Uh, we, I mean McShin, and you know, this is really a testament to John, Carol, and, and everybody else who's, who's been here, Honesty especially. Oh my God. You know, yeah, um, to, who have worked just, you know, so hard, and Jesse, who's worked so hard oh, to, yeah. to build Absolutely. the relationships with Henrico County and to make sure that we are a good faith actor. Here. Right. You know, that we are we are demonstrating over and over again that we are a partner in, in, in public safety, you know, right. in public health. And I'm grateful that this partnership exists. It saved my life, legitimately. You know, no, no joking, saved my life. And it saves the lives of countless people. Yeah. So thank you for coming and oh, speaking with you. us. thank you. Nathan, thank you. And thanks, Todd, mm -hmm. also working at my... I mean, I, I have got to tell you, John and Carol, I mean, I love them. I mean, they have been with me since the beginning. And I... And, and really, 
taught me. I mean, they were the first people in recovery to say, Shannon, let us tell you what's going on here. And I would not be here where I am today without the foundation that they've helped establish in educating me and, and, and again, welcoming me with open arms to come down here to get to know everybody um, and to see what recovery looks like. So I am indebted to them as well. <laughs> but this has been great. I really appreciate this. Well, you know, and I appreciate this too. We're, we're trying to get a consistent uh, two o'clock Tuesday through Friday. Yes. And uh, one of the ways to do that is to schedule people in t on, on, on a regular basis and to try to get some some people who have an interesting story. And I appreciate or, you know, really interesting to the community. So thank you again. Thank you for coming. Um, I have a T-shirt downstairs. For ah, you. Okay, awesome. <laughs> and I'm trying to get the Get in the Herd T-shirt. Yeah, we're okay, on that's, it. Cool. that's what uh, we should do a podcast T-shirt. So yeah. I, did, I did the podcast and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Right. So. <laughs> well, I'll come back this fall and we can see what everything looks like on the other side of this pandemic. Yeah, so, come back uh, this fall and yeah. maybe you'll have something to talk about. Yeah, I, there you go. There you go. I'll have something else to talk. Um, Todd, as always, thank you to our fabulous producer and to John and Carol, um, to everybody here. Thank you to Kyler, our director of marketing, who's out and about doing things uh, beyond us. And do I need to, this, you, you got to wait for this one. I'm going to pimp out. Get in the herd after hours. <laughs> that that was Saturday, and uh, and John actually has quite a stellar lineup on that. He has the current Miss America, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. as well yeah. as yeah. Uh, Dan Schneider from uh, the Pharmacist, the yes. Netflix docuseries. We were just talking about that. So, I, yeah. I gotta have to watch it now. Yeah. I gotta catch it with all the others. I gotta watch. It is amazing. I just watched. Uh, I watched the first episode about you know right when this all started. Then I kind of fell asleep, and I watched the la two more episodes last night. I'll watch the fourth tonight. Wow. Um, it's it's compelling, it's real, it's honest, and, and it shows the power of how one person can really drive change. Right. You know, right. Um, when you're passionate about something. So and he, he really takes to task New Orleans, you know, yeah. and, and, and a lot of bad law well law enforcement. So and law too, I suppose. Yeah. So um, thank you again. And with that, have a good day, everybody. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks. <laughs>